Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax must update to rewards. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Egyptian traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Prince Setna and his foster brother Inaros had been slogging across the necropolis of Memphis for days. The sand sizzled under their footsteps, set ablaze by a thick red sun overhead. Inaros doubted their quest, but Setna knew that scalding sand was a small price to pay for the treasure they sought, the Book of Thoth. This not a forkata you speak of was buried and forgotten hundreds of years ago for a reason. Why continue to seek his tomb in the harsh sun when you could be rejoicing with your family in the banquet hall? If I find this book, I can rejoice with my family for all eternity. I have to acquire it. Just don't let your desires blind you to the real blessings you possess. They finally reached the modest tomb entrance, dilapidated and weathered with time. Setna enlisted Inaros's help and pulled back the hulking stone doors. Perhaps we should leave. The spirits of the dead may prefer to rest. Do not fear the dead. If we Egyptians cannot learn from those who came before us, we will never possess the kind of power that transcends mortality. As if on cue, a light radiated from the depths of the burial chamber. Setna's mouth curled into a smile. He moved toward the light, single-minded, focused, feeling the pull of the light drawing him deeper in. He arrived at the opening and peered down at the source of the light, a book. It was glowing like a star, an energy source hovering in space over a crumbling sarcophagus. Setna gazed at it in awe. Any common sense he possessed immediately evaporated and was replaced by a deep hunger to know the book's every written word. Whatever the cost, he had to possess it. He reached out, but was halted by a blood-curdling cry. 
Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're continuing our exploration of the legends surrounding the Egyptian god Thoth and his fabled magical book. Thoth was the god of writing and wisdom. He played a large and varied role in Egyptian mythology, but we've chosen to focus on his role as enforcer of Ma'at, or ultimate balance in the universe. Ma'at took precedence over everything, and no man or god could escape its justice. This was especially true when it came to mortals that dare read Thoth's immortal text. For one could not possess the knowledge of Thoth without paying the ultimate price. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com slash merch for more information. The myth surrounding the Book of Thoth is most often attributed to a series of stories written between Egypt's late period and Roman period, that is from about 525 BCE to 646 CE. They told of a prince named Setna Kamwas. The mythical Prince Setna Kamwas is believed to be based on the very real Prince Kaimwaset, the fourth son of Ramses II. Kaimwaset was a learned scribe and magician who spent a great deal of time preserving ancient Egyptian temples and monuments. He also put extreme effort into cataloging the names of those who built them. Because of this, Kaimwaset is often referred to as the first ever Egyptologist. Kaimwaset was inquisitive and brave, but also quite reckless in his pursuit of knowledge and dealings with the dead. So is Setna Kamwas in his pursuit of the Book of Thoth. Last week, we covered Prince Naneferkapta and how his acquisition of the Book of Thoth led to the death of his wife and son. After this tragedy, Naneferkapta would not part with the book easily. Ghostly howls filled the tomb. Setna and his brother Inaros whipped towards their origin to find two Ka's, spirits flanking the stone sarcophagus of Naneferkapta. One of the Ka's was a young boy, the other a beautiful woman. The woman hovered protectively, guarding both the body of Naneferkapta and the young boy. What man dare enter the tomb of Naneferkapta and disturb our peace of 300 years? May Osiris keep you. I am Setna, son of Pharaoh Ramses the Great, and this is my foster brother, Inaros. What great soul do we address? I am Awere, the wife of Prince Naneferkapta, whose tomb you have disturbed. Next to me is our son, Merib. Merib offered a shy but warm smile. Even in death, his innocent nature shone through. Setna looked past the cause of Awere and Merib to where the body of Naneferkapta lie in its tomb. The body was decaying and brittle, 
but on top of it, in resplendent shape, lay the illuminated Book of Thoth. He could barely contain his desire to rip open the book and consume every secret it possessed. Secrets that would allow him to speak with animals and perceive the gods themselves. Aware was no fool. She knew what Setna had come for. You wish to possess the power of the Book of Thoth? I am a priest and a prince. I merely wish to learn from it as your husband did. Please, step aside so that I may know its secrets. We died for this book, all three of us. It is ours, and we will not part with it willingly. If you do not give it freely, I have the power to take it by force. Inaros backed away. A warning from a spirit seemed as good a reason as any to abandon their mission, but Setna was resolute. Setna stepped past Aware and rushed towards the book. But as he reached forward, a large hand lifted the book into the air so that it was just out of Setna's grasp. The hand belonged to the ghost of Nanefercopta. He looked down on Setna in pity. You think because you are royal that you are immune to the justice of the great god of wisdom? Like you, my hubris blinded me to the incredible blessings I possessed. So Thoth took them from me. It is not worth it. Do not make the same mistake I did. I will not succumb to the same trappings. I am a great scholar, capable of superior magic than you were in your time. Now, give me the book. <laughs> if you believe yourself to be superior to me, then prove it. Join me in a game of Sinet. Beat me in an honest game and I will give you the book to take freely. Lose and I will hammer your body into the ground where you will remain for eternity. Please, Prince Setna. If you have a wife and children, go to them now and forget this foolish quest. For even if you succeed in defeating my husband and win the book, you will surely lose your family forever. Do not be foolish, brother. Your wife and children await your return at home in Memphis. Setna gazed at the Book of Thoth, glorious in its luminous state. He pushed his brother aside and raised his head to Nanefercopta. I accept your challenge. Excellent. The game of Senet was a popular and powerful game played throughout ancient Egyptian history, but it also held special powers that transcended mere gambling. As Egyptian historian and Senet expert Peter A. Piccioni notes in an essay on the gaming episode in the tale of Setna Kamwas, Senet could be used to communicate directly between the living and the dead. Engaging in a game of Senet, Nanefercopta and Setna were able to interact with each other in a direct and tangible way that they would otherwise not be able to do. Nanefercopta pulled a board game from the bounty of gifts that filled his tomb and laid it out between him and Setna. As they each reached for the board, it functioned as a bridge, one end in the land of the dead and the other in the land of the living, connecting the two worlds as long as they played the game. This made each of them vulnerable physically as well as mentally, which was exactly what Nanefercopta wanted. Setna was usually quite skilled when it came to board games, but from the first roll, he seemed to flounder. Nanefercopta stayed one step ahead, it was as if Nanefercopta knew Setna's mind and could predict every move. 
Setna watched as Nanefercopta easily beat him, the game lasting mere minutes. Setna was frozen in disbelief. Nanefercopta uprooted a giant staff that was lodged in the ground next to his tomb and raised it in the air. The staff cast a shadow over Setna's cowering body. Please, I beg you, my brother is with me. He cannot tell my family I perished in a game of Senet with the dead. You lose, Prince Sedna. Now I will collect on our wager. Give me a chance to redeem myself. I will show you more mercy than Thoth showed me. Nanefercopta brought down the staff onto Setna's head, pounding him into the earth. <laughs> Warm blood trickled from Setna's crown, down his forehead and past his eyes. He blinked past a searing pain in his skull and tried to move, but he could not. Setna was lodged in the ground, buried up to his knees in dirt. I'm stuck! And I underestimated how thick that skull of yours is. Shall we continue playing? Perhaps I may pummel you into the ground with a few more whacks to that bag of rocks you call a head. You are more practiced in death than I anticipated. I will not hold back this time. Hold back? I am insulted that you would not engage me with the full might of your magical prowess. Setna seethed. He closed his eyes and mumbled an incantation. Brother, no! The tomb is not stable! Stand down, Inaros. I know my own powers. Setna lifted his hands. The walls began to shake, and torches that had been snuffed out for 300 years flamed to life. He was ready to use whatever means necessary to take the Book of Thoth from Nanefercopta. Coming up, how Setna attempts to outsmart Nanefercopta and win the Book of Thoth. And now back to mythology. Setna thrust his arms towards Nanefercopta, his face turning red as he strained to enact a magical power, yet nothing happened. Setna strained further, but still nothing. He gasped and lowered his hands. The walls immediately stilled. Impressive effort. How did you counter my spell? You claim to be a high priest. You of all people should know that your incantations are useless without an immortal talisman, especially in a protected tomb such as mine. But that's neither here nor there. Shall we continue playing? Setna closed his eyes in defeat and nodded. With his powers rendered useless, he would have to rely on wit alone, and so far, his wit was no match for the ghostly prince. Nanefercopta won the second game almost as handily as the first and wasted no time bashing a helpless Setna further into the ground. Setna was now buried up to his waist. Inaros begged him to stop, but Setna pressed on and played again. Even with the odds clearly against him, Setna could not give up his chance to read from the Book of Thoth when it was this close. Yet, he lost once more. Setna was now buried up to his chin. 
He knew he only had one more game to play before Nanefercopta's final blow would bury him completely. Setna racked his brain, desperate for a solution, any solution that would give him the upper hand. And then he had an idea. He made one final plea to Nanefercopta. Please, let me say goodbye to my brother before we play again. I will send him away with a final word to my wife and children and spare his witness of my demise. Very well. After your last wishes are conveyed and he has left the tomb, we will finish playing our game. Inaros rushed to Setna's side. Setna, I knew we should not have come. Nanafrakata will entomb you here alongside him. Please beg his forgiveness and let's leave this place. No, I must have the book. Quick, go to the palace temple and retrieve the royal amulet. Bring it to me here as fast as your legs will carry you. I will not leave you here to die, brother. If you truly wish me to live, then do as I say. Inaros backed away slowly, then ran for the door. Nanefercopta watched him flee. Tis a sad state to die alone. I am still capable of one more game. I put my fate in the hands of the gods. Setna commenced with the game. Since only his head was clear of the ground, he had to spit the dice from his mouth to roll and indicate which piece to move on the board with his words. Unable to use his hands, the game moved incredibly slow, which was exactly what Setna wanted. Still, even at a slow pace, Setna soon found himself on the losing side of fate. His destiny now rested on one final roll of the dice. Nanefercopta took the dice into his fist and shook them. But before he could toss them onto the board, Inaros burst back into the tomb. Brother, I have it! Inaros pulled a dark purple stone set in gold from around his neck and held it out to his brother. Setna saw and quickly chanted a spell. Yasha, Yasha, Inokai, Inokai. As he chanted, his body began to rise from the soil, pulled toward the great purple stone by a magical force. Setna took the stone in his hand and held it towards Nanefercopta. Nanefercopta's spirit was sucked back towards his corpse, leaving the book unguarded. Setna took a step towards it. The cause of Aware and Marib rushed to stop him, but with one swipe of his hand, Setna sent them flailing backward. The Book of Thoth was finally free for the taking. You cheated. No spirit can transcend the great amulets of Batah. I simply outsmarted you. You will upset Ma'at if that book leaves this tomb. Trust me, there will be a price to pay. No one is wiser than Thoth. You will not escape his justice. Setna took the book, wrapped it in a cloak, and tied it to his back. He offered Nanefercopta one last look at the book, then walked towards the tomb's exit and stepped outside. Thoth immediately got word of Setna's theft and, just as Nanefercopta had warned, was quick to enact justice. Like with Nanefercopta, Thoth decided to punish Setna by exploiting his weakness, his desires. 
As soon as Setna was away from the tomb and back amongst the streets of Memphis, he tore into the book, consuming each page as fast as he could. It seemed as if nothing could distract him from his new prize, until the most beautiful woman he had ever seen crossed his path. She was trailed by a cavalcade of servants. Setna watched as they followed her into a nearby temple. He distractedly closed the book and took off after her. Once inside the sacred temple, Setna approached her. Almost involuntarily, words of adoration began tumbling from his mouth. Such splendor has never graced the mortal realm. Hathor, the god of love, could not have composed a form more worthy of praise than you. Pray thee, what beauty stands before me? I am Tabubu, daughter of the high priest of the cat goddess Bastet from Bubastis. Who offers such reverence? I am Setna, son of Pharaoh Ramses the Great. I come to you in earnest devotion. I have never felt so drawn to anyone in all my life. Please spend the evening with me. I will pay for your time. You mistake me, Prince Setna. I am the daughter of a noble priest, not a low woman of the street. My apologies. I did not mean to offend you. I revere you. Please, how can we be together? I will receive you discreetly at my home outside Bubastis. You will know it by its high walls. Seek me there tomorrow. First thing the next morning, Setna summoned a boat to take him to Bubastis. He took a horse to the outer edge of the city, where a large home surrounded by high walls stood erected in the desert. Tabubu welcomed him there and led him to her chamber in the upper story of the house. Gold chalices filled with wine sat next to an overstuffed bed made up in soft linens. Tabubu handed him one of the chalices and sat back on the bed. The chamber was filled with light, and Setna could just make out Tabubu's figure through the thin gown she wore. Fair Tabubu, I have traveled to the outer edges of your city to find you. I desire you more than anything I've ever felt in this world. Come to me now. Let us be one. As much as I share in your desire, I cannot give myself to you without assurance of your intent. You must promise me something first. Anything. That you will make me your bride. Done. Setna lunged towards her, but Tabubu elegantly sidestepped his advances. I will not compete with your wife. You must get rid of her, divorce her, cast her out. There will be no other woman before me. I could never put another before you. I will do as you ask. Tabubu smiled. She let her gown slip, revealing a shoulder, glistening and smooth. Setna wondered if the rest of her body was as wonderful. And your children? What of them? They are heirs to your rank. In time they may lay claim to what is yours and plot against my children. You must turn them over to me, so that I may have them executed. They are mere babies. Tabubu caressed Setna's cheek. He inhaled her intoxicating breath and Mendesian perfume. They are obstacles to our future together. Setna drank in her chocolate eyes. He knew in that moment he would do anything for her. Then we must be rid of them. 
Setna wrote out a paper of divorcement from his wife, as well as a formal command that his children be brought to Tabubu's house in Bubastis. When his children arrived at her house, Tabubu met them at the gate. But before they had a chance to see their father, Tabubu set her dogs on them. Setna could hear their distinct voices crying out as they were ripped apart by her beasts, but did nothing. Instead, he buried his head in Tabubu's chest as their cries were silenced by death. Setna poured himself another glass of wine and looked back at Tabubu. Any doubts he had of his actions were squashed by the image of her figure. His intoxication went beyond wine. I have cast off my wife, killed my children. I have done everything you have asked. Be mine. Let me have you now. I am yours. Come to me. Tabubu lay back on the bed. Setna raced to remove his clothes and lunged towards her, hiking up her gown and thrusting himself sharply into her body. It was everything he had imagined. Setna closed his eyes tight as a rush of pleasure filled his chest. But just as he began to revel in his euphoria, a piercing thrust of cold air enveloped his body, and the room around him vanished into the darkness. He looked down at Tabubu, who was laughing maniacally. Her laughter echoed and bounced off the walls as if multiplying. Each fit of giggles sparked another that engulfed him. As he searched the room in confusion, Tabubu vanished from his arms. In her place lay a large clay pot. Setna's phallus was thrust into its gaping top hole. Setna searched the room around him, but he was not in a room. He was on the streets of Memphis, naked and tangled in the booth of a street vendor. The laughter surrounding him was coming from dozens of people, all of them pointing and snickering. Tabubu and her palatial home were nowhere to be found. Setna reached for where he had thought he'd tossed his clothes, but they were gone. In their place lay only the Book of Thoth. A trick of the mind. Realization flooded Setna. Tabubu was a curse sent from Thoth. Nanefercopta was right. He was no match for the god of knowledge. Setna grabbed the book, scrambled to cover himself, and raced to the palace to find his father. Coming up, Setna fights the cursed power he's unleashed. Now, back to the story. Setna raced to the palace to find his father, the pharaoh. He was clutching the Book of Thoth and wearing nothing more than a clay pot around his genitals. Is this the Book of Thoth, the sacred text that was buried hundreds of years ago in the tomb of Nanaferkata? It is. I took it from him. The memory of his children's dying cries came rushing back to Setna. His whole body shook as he began to fully realize what he had done. Setna threw himself at his father's feet, weeping. Nanaferkata warned me there would be a price to pay, and I will not listen. Now my wife is estranged and my children are dead. Oh, Father, what have I done? 
Why do you speak of your children as if they are dead? I just returned from visiting them at your home. Your loyal and loving wife eagerly awaits your return alongside them. At home? Why would you think otherwise? Sedna looked around the palace walls and down at his naked body. If he had imagined Tabubu and her room and her wine, then perhaps he had imagined the demise of his family. It was all just a dream. A terrible dream. That book is dangerous. By taking it, you have upset Ma'at. Return the book to Nanafakapta's tomb and beg he take it back. Otherwise, I fear this dream of yours may soon turn real. I will go at once. Setna dressed and hastily made his way back to the tomb of Nanefercopta. There he found the Ka of Nanefercopta waiting for him. <laughs> I knew you'd be back, Sedna. I am just surprised to find you fully intact. You must be protected by Bata himself. Setna held out the Book of Thoth. It glowed in the darkness of the cave, as if reminding everyone of its power. Take it. Its powers are beyond my comprehension. I will relieve you of this burden on one condition. Anything. You must sail to Koptos and retrieve the bodies of my wife, Oere, and my son, Merib, and bring them here. We have been parted too long. Do this for me, and I will free you of this burden you possess. Fail this task, and I will aid the God of Wisdom in haunting you for the rest of your days. Setna eagerly agreed to Nanefercopta's terms and returned to Memphis to command a royal boat down the Nile to Koptos. Once in Koptos, Setna raced to visit the great priests at their temples, sure they could direct him to the resting place of Awere and Marib, but he was met with disappointment. Unfortunately, in the many hundreds of years since their death, the burial site of Awere and Marib had been covered over by a growing metropolis. Sedna and the priests spent days combing through every ancient text that filled the Koptos libraries and inspecting every tomb that dotted its surrounding desert. They found nothing. He issued a decree and offered a handsome reward to anyone with information on the burial place of Awere and Marib. Usually, Setna's desires got him into trouble, but this time, he hoped they would exonerate him. Shortly after Setna's decree went out, an old man wearing a cloak covered in baboon pelts came forward and announced that he knew the burial place of Awere and Marib. He claimed he was a wise elder priest with ancient insight and advised Setna to trust him. Although the priests of Koptos were unfamiliar with the old man and warned Setna against him, Setna desperately followed him to the outskirts of town. There, the old man directed Setna to the house of the chief of police and instructed him to demolish his home. Desperate and directionless, Setna prayed to Thoth to protect him, then tore down the chief of police's home. Setna carefully cleared each stone lining the foundation, and he encountered a massive tablet covered in ancient inscriptions. Lying next to it was a much smaller tablet. Underneath each were the mummies of Awere and Marib, just as the old man had indicated. Setna sighed relief. He carefully gathered the mummies, 
loaded them on his boat, and shipped them to Memphis at once. Before he departed Koptos himself, he searched for the wise old man to thank him and offer a generous reward. But the wise old man was nowhere to be found, having disappeared without a trace. Setna arrived back in Memphis and paraded the bodies of Aware and Marib through the streets as if they were living royalty. He brought them to the tomb of Nanefercopta to be laid to rest. When he arrived outside Nanefercopta's tomb, he was met by the wise old man he encountered in Koptos. The man threw off his baboon pelts and stood tall, radiating light and vibrating with otherworldliness. It was the god of wisdom himself, Thoth. Setna fell to his knees and held out the book he'd once desired above all things to its immortal author. Thoth simply pointed towards the tomb, blessing Setna's continued journey to Nanefercopta. Then he took the form of an ibis and flew away. Setna entered Nanefercopta's tomb and presented the bodies of Aware and Marib. Prince Nanefercopta, you have now been reunited with your family. Please see these bodies to rest and take back the book which I have stolen from you. My wife and child have been trapped here without their bodies for 300 years. It is a joyful day indeed that we may all rest in peace together. Give me the book. Setna returned the Book of Thoth from where he'd found it, on the chest of the corpse of Nanafercopta. Its radiant light dimmed slightly, as if settling into its rightful home. No man will bother you further. I will see to this. Rest well, Prince Nanafercopta. May we meet again in Aaru. Go in peace, Prince Setna. The two princes bowed to one another and Setna exited the tomb, its heavy door booming closed behind him. Setna then turned towards the tomb's opening and chanted a spell. At his words, the opening flattened into the ground and covered itself with mounds of sand until the tomb and its entrance were completely indistinguishable from the dunes that surrounded it. No mortal would ever find the entrance to Nanefercopta's tomb again, and the Book of Thoth would disappear with it until its memory became legend and its legacy became a myth. While Egyptian myth suggests that the actual Book of Thoth was buried and lost to time on that day, others argue that Thoth's writing lives on in modern culture by way of tarot cards. Tarot cards didn't appear in Europe until the late 14th century, but their origin and mysticism is commonly accredited to the Egyptian occult. Some circles even believe that tarot cards are the only surviving book of ancient Egypt that preserves its pure wisdom through hieroglyphic code. 
This idea of tarot cards as a link to the Book of Thoth was first suggested in 1781 by the French author Antoine Cor de Geblan. It was then echoed by his contemporary, French astrologer Ateya. Ateya, which is a pseudonym of Jean-Baptiste Alliette, referred to his tarot deck as the Book of Thoth and adorned the cards with Egyptian imagery. It caught on. Since then, many occultists have used Thoth's nomenclature in their tarot decks, including arguably one of the most popular tarot decks of modern time, Thoth's Tarot. Thoth's Tarot was created in 1944 by English occultist Alistair Crowley and is accompanied by a companion book aptly named The Book of Thoth. In ancient Egypt, Thoth was a popular deity with the wealthy and educated, which meant many temples and art pieces were erected in his honor. Some of these temples have been lost to time, but others still stand as a symbol of his enduring popularity. As time went on, Thoth gained a cult following and was eventually combined with the Greek god Hermes to form the deity Hermes Trismegistus. This rebranding of Thoth also led to the renaming of his cultural center, Kanum, to Hermopolis. Thousands of mummified ibis and baboons, both animal figures associated with Thoth, have been found buried under the city, further solidifying its history as the center of worship for the god of wisdom. Today, Thoth remains one of the better-known Egyptian deities in the world and is still worshipped in modern Wiccan and neo-pagan communities. The god's image as an ibis-headed man is widely recognizable and is often used to indicate a place or institution of learning. In fact, it is the central image on the logo for the University of Cairo. One thing is certain, wisdom and knowledge are timeless attributes and enlightened society will never stop worshipping. The Book of Thoth may not be a literal scroll of papyrus or bound pages buried in a tomb somewhere, but it is an enduring concept that challenges us to respect the universe even if we don't understand it. Because if something seems beyond our comprehension, sometimes it's best to just leave it alone. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Allison Weaver-Nicholas. 
The amazing cast of voice actors include Jerry Courtney Austin, Rebecca Aarons Diamond, Sky King, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, Jack Shulriff, Julian Smith, Kai Jordan, and Tiana Camacho. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>